ask me, what am I sipping on today? Um, well, it's been a day. So we're doing white rum and uh, orange juice. <laughs> on, a, on a smooth work day. <laughs> it's Monday at 8 in the evening. It had been a week already. One day at 8.34 in the evening. Everybody put your hands towards Angelique and said the prayer. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah, what are you saying? That's not even. Lots of rosé. So normal Monday night drink. Yeah. To be fair, I don't have, I need to take, to do my wine run, so I don't really have a lot of other options. I had to. Okay. Now, yesterday when we were at the harbor, definitely saw a girl um, get uh, wheeled out, um, passed out on a, a food cart. They literally wheeled her <laughs> cart. So I was like, at least my life is not this. Like, at least I did not go too hard at Guapos on a Sunday. I had to get wheeled out on a food cart. They have a Guapos at the a National Harbor? Harbor, DC Harbor. Oh, really? That's true. You know, Waffles is one of our favorite places. Oh, we haven't been there in so long. Okay, that's good to know. I may have to write that down. That is hilarious. I wonder. You said what? Like, at least my life is not that. No. You know what she was missing? Some friends. (sighs) That would tell her the truth. You've ever let me pass out? I would never. If you want to do that, I would like see when you get to your limit. Cause like I love to watch, I love drinking with you. It's like the most fun thing ever. Um, mostly because you get more cuddly the more that you drink, and I'd be like, yeah, get more cuddly. You get more cuddly, and I just allow it. <laughs> Whatever. We can say that for the sake of the podcast, but. After a certain extent, I'd be like, all right, let's go home and, and finish the party so that we can privately be as wretched as we want. That's what a real friend does. It is what a real friend does. Not push you out on a food cart. Well, in front of the whole Washington Harbor. That is really embarrassing. Wow. Yeah. I would never let you live that down as a friend, though. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Have I ever been publicly like out of my ooh my birthday, ooh my 21st birthday? Mm. Don't think I participated in that. No, I don't think you you liked me like a month or two after that. <laughs> like I think we had started kindling the friendship, but we weren't on that level. Also, that wasn't public. I was in my room, it's my in my apartment. It's just other people were there. <laughs> In the middle of the summer? <laughs> you said what? In the middle of the summer? Your birthday's in June, boo-boo. Yeah, so I think we had like had a class together. Like we had like the statistics class in like May. Like in that spring semester. To bring something to the table. Mm-hmm. See, I bring nerdiness to the table. It was just an adjustment, you know? Have we ever told our love story? Maybe one day we'll do that. Yeah, it's hilarious. Such an authentic friendship story. <laughs> it is. Yeah. 
But we are talking about friendship today, so you ready to hop in? Let's do it. All right. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another week of your favorite podcast. My name is Angelique, and I'm Adrian. And welcome to Bossophobia. So, you know, we got to start off with our facing fears section. So, Adrian, what fear are you facing this week? I don't know. This is weird. We usually do it at the end of the week and we're doing it at the beginning of the week. <laughs> um, what fear am I facing this week? I don't know. Oh, the fear I'm facing this week is that like I'm gonna fall out of my routine. So I have not been to CrossFit in two weeks mm. because every time that alarm goes off, I'm just like, I can't do it, Jesus. <laughs> I can't, I can't. But I am going to make it tomorrow. I signed up for class this morning and then didn't make it. Um, so I need to sign up for class tonight and actually make it. And when 4.30 comes, I will just follow the spirit and make it. Mm. What time is class in the morning? At 5.30. You know what? That's really inspirational, though, that you're being transparent about this. This is not the fear that I am facing this week, but I have been trying to, like, do a workout, like, go to the gym or, like, do the things and you know, you're inspiring me to actually get up when the alarm clock goes off. My fear is the alarm clock. Mm, that's a big fear. I literally, like, I don't even set my alarm sometimes because I just be like, look, I'm going to let the spirit move me. I am a morning person. Like, I can naturally get up at 6.30, no problem. But 4.30 is a different thing. Yeah. And when 4.30 comes around, I'd be like, I could go to sleep for two more hours and be in a good place. Yeah, 4.30 is still technically nighttime where I'm from, like in my head. But then again, I'm a night person. Who has been co-opted into a morning person because of who I married. You, Yeah, you go to bed at 4.30. Yeah, so. But we will be, actually, this is cool. So because of how we're doing it, I'll actually remember the fears when um, our regular recording day rolls around and I can, we can check back in and ask us and check on how we're doing. Um, the fear that I'm facing, and this is like, I know we're supposed to be like bold and vulnerable, but I think this is a struggle to even say out loud. The fear that I'm facing is a fear that I haven't really overcome some of like the pain points and trauma of like my younger years, the way that I thought I had. Mm -hmm. And I'll say that because I think as you grow, like you think that you've made peace with things and then some event or something is said and then all of a sudden you're triggered and you all, you really have to like sit and be like, well, wait, wait, where is this coming from? Why is this happening? Like, again, going back to some of the things that you talked about, Adrian, like sourcing your feelings, figuring out what the root of your feeling is. And then honestly, I think I'm at the point where it's like, I have to acknowledge in some ways that I've made progress, but that, and I may 
And it's not even like I haven't made as much progress as I thought, but I'm required to make additional progress in certain areas based upon where I am in life right now. Both can be true. Yeah. So why well, I'm drinking rum and orange juice on a Monday. <laughs> Still a little concerned about that, but you know. Bye. Handling one fear at a time. Filled <laughs> out of guapos on a food cart. So you're okay. Yeah. Well, um, moving on to our taking notes section. The doors of Sense Community Church are open. And the individual who we are bringing to the church today doesn't even really want to be there. Um, our good friend, Little Nas X. Uh, I don't know. You have you have words, Reverend Doctor. Are we friends with him? Friends with him, and I want to talk about why and who I want to bring to Saints Community Church today. Okay, go ahead. So, the question today, friends, is who? I don't know if you all have heard, but Little Nas X came out with a uh, music video called Montero, "Call Me by Your Name," and um, in that music video, he uh, he uh, depicts the Adam and Eve story, as well as like his demise in the Colosseum. And then he uh, is that he ascends into heaven before he rides a stripper pole wearing a very nice red lace front down into the depths of hell, where he then gives Satan a lap dance before killing him and taking his crown and uh, becoming the new king of hell. Now, um, watch this video. Oh, yes, I watched it. I, I do very in-depth journalism. Okay. I was at the level of like, I don't need the demon Jesus. Like, mm, mm, mm. I'm dealing with too much in my life. I just don't want to open that door. So I just listened to everybody else's account of it. Well, and also I work with kids. So like I knew, well, not and like, like the, like the youth and so do you. I just asked the kids. They tell me I don't need to actually see the demonic spirit. Okay. So he also came out with a pair of shoes, six, six, six pairs of them to be exact. Um, with they were they're black and red with an inverted cross. They cost $1,018 per pair and sold out in minutes of uh, being released. There are 60 cubic centimeters of red ink, which is about 2.3 ounces and one drop of human blood in the sole of each shoe. And on the side of it, he has the scripture Luke 10 18. I saw Satan like fall like lightning from heaven. You, you said that there's human blood in each chop. In each soul, yes. In each soul of the shoe. Yeah. As provided by Mischief, the brand who he's making the shoe with. Hot magic. This is the I can't. Yes. Um this company also came out with the Jesus version of the Air Maxes that was apparently filled, the soul was filled with uh, water from the Jordan River. This same group also ripped apart four Hermes Birkin bags, uh, which are worth tens of thousands of dollars and created a collection of sandals priced between $34,000 and $76,000. They also sold a laptop with some of the world's most dangerous computer viruses for over $1.3 million. So they are very much an irreverent brand that just sells things that create a shock factor. This release was supposed to happen nine months ago 
and it's happening now and little Nas has memes for everybody for every church member for everybody and before I tell you who I want to bring to sense community church today I'd like to read a letter he wrote to himself um and he wrote it to his 14 year old self he said I wrote a song with our name on it he's talking to himself it's about a guy I met last summer. I know we promised to never come out publicly. I know we promised to never be that type of gay person. I know we promised to die with the secret, but this will open doors for many other queer people to simply exist. You see, this is very scary for me. People will be angry. They say they will say I'm pushing an agenda, but the truth is I am. The agenda is to make people stay the bleep out of other people's lives and stop dictating who they should be sending you love from the future. And he goes on to say how some of the darkest times that he had in his life were when the church members told him that he was gonna to go to hell and burn in hell and da, 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 and it pushed him to the point of self-hatred and almost suicide. So we bring to Sense Community Church, Lil Nas X, yes, he needs to come, but also the church itself. Okay, I'm glad you took that angle. Because as demonic as this video is, and it's it's demonic, um, I think it also does show the fact of like where people that are in the church and um, are homosexual feel like that is the message that they receive from the church, and the fact that like if you're telling me you're I'm gonna go to hell, I might as well do it while having fun. Mm -hmm. um, I was talking to somebody about this and. Um, they felt like really passionate about it. I was like, hmm. So I was listening to them and I was like, you know what? That really was your experience because I grew up with you in, in the church while you were actually having that experience as well. Um, and I like know that is the messaging you got from some, some people in the church. Mm -hmm. um, so the fact that like that is the basically saying like you know what if i'm gonna go to hell i'm gonna do it in a fun way and have some stories to tell while i am down there so um i think it is great that you brought church to to their knees and be like hmm, let's see why people actually feel like that because at the end of the day that's not love either that is not what god told called you to do he called you to love people mm -hmm. and not in that way yeah and that's really the thing that I want to harp on. The reason why I say that we should bring Little Nas X to Sense Community Church is not to judge him because obviously he's felt that enough. I really hope that if we could bring him into like this physical entity that is like Sense Community Church, it is not actually physical, but hypothetically, if it was, that we could like love him and just surround him with people who believe in Jesus who wouldn't judge him, with people who believe and would be like, you know what, dude? Like, I may not wear the shoes, but I'm going to love you if you're wearing them. Or not. I love and respect you because Jesus himself, who we're supposed to be following and who we're supposed to be imitators of, would also love and respect you. And so my question, like, I'll say two things. So one, when I was watching the music video, the thing that really came to me wasn't even while I was watching the music video, it was as I was scrolling through the comments. And it was literally like hundreds of thousands of comments of kids who were a part of the LGBTQ um, IA plus community and not who were sitting there and saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad somebody did this because the church has done this, this, and this to me. And it was like, it was like a huge like group therapy session of people being like, the church thinks that I can't do this. The church has an issue with my hair. The church has an issue with my clothes. Like, oh my gosh, yes, if I'm gonna go to hell, if that's where you're gonna tell me I'm gonna go, like you were saying, 
I'm going to go having fun. And oh my gosh, I'm so glad. Like the song is on the top of the billboard charts. And somehow that makes me think that like the church really does need to sit down and have a really serious conversation with themselves about what their actual message is, not what they think it is, not what's in the mission statement, not what they sell on Christmas and Easter, what they actually do to people on a day-to-day, week-to-week, Sunday-to-Sunday, Wednesday-to-Wednesday basis, because it ain't as positive and as love-filled as they think it is. That's not all churches. No one generalized, but... No, okay. Yeah, not all churches, but um, enough for it to make it to the top of the Billboard 100. (laughs) Yeah, enough that that is the culture that people have experienced, especially in the Black church. Oh, yes. So I appreciate that you are bringing the whole church to sense community and everybody um needs to attend an extra bible study this week to get y'all lives together yeah because we're not going to talk about like and i I, we're going to move on but like we're not and the reason why i'm bringing all the churches is because churches should hold other churches accountable and should hold other and christians should hold other christians accountable in the faith and that's what i'm hoping to do and i've been having this argument with a lot of people who are like it's demonic yeah but so is your judgment like oh uh, don't mm, they're not ready you carry them around on the next sunday christian the, the sunday easter hat like just because they're different god don't like likes them but anyways the other thing is to say jesus sat down amongst the sinners so even if you define little nazax and what he's doing as like sin and again i'm removing myself from the situation and my own like personal opinion as it relates to specifically what he did because my point is even if that's what you believe that's what you think that shouldn't remove you from being around him because it didn't remove jesus i mean i had the opportunity to bring around the young man (laughs) but i mean like my viewpoint is my viewpoint and that does not change beliefs right um and that does not change but that is also not the way that i need to communicate to somebody like just because you have one um viewpoint about something does not mean the way that i interact with you and i engage with you in some random world maybe i would meet little Knox x but that does not mean that i would engage him any differently um than i would any the next person and like that is um, like a level that I had to work to, right? So that's not something like that was just attained, like because the culture of um, Christianity, and I want to say like, especially in black churches, it is built in judgment. So like that is just something that naturally comes along with it. So like actually kind of breaking that mold in the person that I was having a conversation with, like when we were younger, I had a lot more opinions and now I don't care, like whatever. That is like still one of my closest friends. Um, and I talk to them daily, but it's also like the way I would rather have a relationship. Like, would I want to rather have a relationship or do I want to be judgmental and seem that I'm right? And at the end of the day, I want to have a relationship with that person. Um, so, yeah. Powerful. So, um, that is who. Well, actually, we could bring this next person to Sense Community Church, too. But again, we bring the church right along with them. I don't know if you heard, but Pastor Donnie McClurkin said this week or that he will likely be alone forever due to his sexuality. 
Um, and a little bit of background on this, uh, McClurkin, who is 61. And if you don't know who Pastor Donnie McClurkin is, he's like a really huge, like gospel singer. Like if you haven't heard his, if you like, I feel like his song Just Stand was like everywhere or Stand was everywhere. But what? That's not the, the, the word, funny. That's not the name of it's bad, right? Tell me what would you do when you've done all you can. Then. That's on stand. Yes. Yes, that's the name. Okay. <laughs> so he said that his past relation, I've messed up more than I've had good. My past relationships were a sprinkling of everything. And he, he said both men and women. Um, he said that he may end up alone for the rest of his life because of what he defines as his struggles with homosexuality due to what, which he also calls he himself. I am not saying this as he calls a perversion. Um, and he has been able to suppress his sexual orientation, citing that it is a sin. Um, he admits that he has urges to be with men, but chooses not to. And this is really interesting. He compared um, homosexuality to diabetes. And he said, I don't eat sugar, but it doesn't mean I don't want sugar. <laughs> I was like, you know what? It's your life, it's your walk. Be great, dude. I don't. I can I can see that in the fact of like everybody has um something that their spirit is naturally attracted to, right? And I don't mean like attracted to in like a relationship sense, but like almost attracted to like that, you're, that is the sin that your spirit is attracted to, right? And you have to learn to manage that at some level, right? Um, and that is the choice that he's made for himself that he believes that his relationship um, with God is more important than what his natural spirit is attracted to and he's willing to sacrifice that on his own end and that's where he's kind of come to the place of contentment with it it sounds like what you're saying yeah I think like the thing that I think and the reason why I put these two stories side by side is just really to like say like as a community, like, if this is what people are walking away with, then, like, the church really needs to do better with spreading love without judgment. Mm -hmm. That's all. But this is crazy. And he's, so, and I'll say the only reason why this story really stood out to me was because he said that he really, really wants a family, and that's something that he's always wanted that that and that he really wants to be married and that that's always been a goal of his but that he says that because of this his um what he calls uh issues or whatever he is basically pledging to be alone for the rest of his life yeah so it is sad i think the yeah there's not much else to say it's just sad so that's where we are I think both of those stories tells us that everybody needs some love. Yeah, love and a little less judgment. Like, a lot less judgment. Matter of fact, if you just mind your own yard, I promise you it'll bloom. You need to know what's going on in the rest of the world. Yeah, speaking of what's going on in the rest of the world, um, this week, 
we saw again the dangers of elevators. Um, Quavo and Sweetie. Elevators. <laughs> elevators are the ones actually being attacked. <laughs> are you sure? Like, what was it? Oh, boy, the football player got caught up in the elevator. Even Beyonce and Jay-Z. Now, you know, if an elevator is sav- is stealthy enough to catch the elusive Beyonce and Jay- Well, you didn't even catch them out of character. It cost Solange out of character, to be fair. My thing is, why do people not realize that cameras are in elevators? No. Like, I'll be looking up sometimes. I'll be waving at them. I'll be like, I know y'all up there. Yes, but Quavo and Sweetie. I don't know why I say her name like that. Yes, they were in the elevator. And I don't even, have you heard what happened with that? I know they broke up and she basically gave the most unbothered response ever where she was basically like, you didn't treat me how I was supposed to be treated. So deuces. I think sis, that was the limited amount of information that sis provided here. Yeah, and then Quavo was like, I can't believe it. You're not the woman I thought you were. It's interesting how some people will like really call you, like say you aren't the person I thought you were when you start standing up for yourself and living in your purpose. I mean, the sweetie living in her purpose, maybe. But saying silence, yes, that is a purpose. That is a purpose. Yes, I was in my grandma judgment right there. I was like, is she really in her purpose? I don't know. <laughs> it's not my purpose. <laughs> okay, you minded your business. But domestic violence is never anybody's purpose. So um, I don't even know what they were really fighting over. Um, but best of luck to her. Yeah. And people stop fighting in elevators. If we don't learn anything else this podcast, there are cameras and elevators, people. Okay. It's so interesting that people don't know that. No, because Quavo looked at the camera afterwards. I've watched this video several times. He looked up at the camera afterwards. Really? Yes. Mm. Well... I don't know. I don't listen to either of their music, so I can't really say much more than that. I'm sure there'll be an album or like a, a like Future will call Quavo and give him more tips on how to confuse the girls even more. The new actor on the scene. Uh, Ray, I should have figured out how to say his name. Ray, Ray, huh? Ray Jeanne. Rene John. Ray Jeanne. That's his name. That's how you say it. Yes. Okay. Well, you say it. What's his name? Jeanne. Say it again. Your your mic went out. I did not. <laughs> it did. It did. Ray Jeanne. Okay, him will not be returning for season two of Bridgerton. Will you still watch? I don't know. Um, I feel like Shonda has done this a lot to me, um, where she's cl- killed off great characters. Sexy characters. Uh, huh? I said sexy characters. 
and I've still continued to watch. So I, I guess I will watch. I don't know. I always feel like it was such a tumultuous romance, and the Duke was such a brooding character. How can you go on without him? But I understand that's not how the books were written, because the series is based on a um, books uh, a book series called The Duke and I, which is weird because the Duke is in the name, so you would think he would continue to be. But whatever. I'm sure he'll come back in a good Shonda movie. Yeah, but he uh, he it follows that family, the Bridge. Bridgerton family so I guess we're gonna see their lives some more we'll see I just wanted to mention that because he is fine um also as a brief update uh Biden has his team reportedly exploring the legalities around whether he can cancel student loan debt up to fifty thousand dollars this does not mean that he is going to but a lot of his uh a lot of the things that he said about why he couldn't or because of like the legalities uh, or whether like he couldn't do that without uh, approval from both the Senate and the House. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to see how valid that is and is meeting with like legal scholars, et cetera, to figure that out. Appreciate it. Whatever you Uncle Joe is appreciated. Yeah. On that same tip, Uncle Joe and his vaccination program, um, has vaccinated like millions of people at this point. But um, the CDC reported that fully vaccinated people are free to travel the US without tests or quarantine. Now I will say the US, when that press, uh, press release happened this week, I was actually very irritated because I was like, why can't we just travel internationally? But I understand that like you have to deal with other people's governments and stuff. But I wish that they had gotten rid of the requirement that when you're coming back from someplace, that you have to get tested within that three-day window before you can fly back. I feel like if you're vaccinated, that they could get rid of that. Um, I feel like once we come up with a better system on um, proving that we're vaccinated, I think that can happen. But I just think we're in like the early phases of that. That is true. Yeah, that's true. Because there was also a story that we're not covering this week in depth where somebody was actually found out for creating false vaccination records. Oh, Lord. Yeah, which I'm not surprised. He's not the only one. It's a piece of paper with two stickers on it or some writing on it. Somebody is making those up. I mean, it's not hard to make up. The card is very simple. Um, I don't know. Have you gotten, are you fully vaccinated? I am fully vaccinated, yeah. Yeah, so the card's very easy. Yeah. But um, they're also talking, uh, and also people were saying that vaccinated people do not appear to carry or spread COVID-19. Um, and that's based upon some preliminary research. So again, this may change, this may shift. That's how research works. I feel like I say that like at least once or twice a day at this point. That's how research works. Things change. It is not static. You wouldn't want your research to be static. That means it's old. Um, even, uh, what you call those, even theories, like people's like uphold up theories is like the biggest, um, like these impermeable pillars of science, but even theories can be disproven. So all that to say, science changes, things change. What'd you say? I feel like this rant is about something else rather than COVID. 
No, it's legitimately about COVID because a lot of people are saying that they don't trust the vaccine because the science keeps changing and people keep putting out different things. And I'm saying like that is happening because they're, we're, we're learning more on a day-to-day basis about what is possible or what and how the vaccine actually reacts and what it does and doesn't protect against. Because again, they did trials, but you're going to learn more over time. That's all. Just advocating. Get vaccinated if you can. Do your own research. Come to your own level of comfort with it. But if you can, do it. There is definitely an interesting surge in like these very polarizing and extreme beliefs. I don't know if you've seen. You sent me the TikTok about the woman who was saying that Trump is going to ascend back into the presidency. And oh, she said that biden was trump that trump was biden and that this was all of illusion biden passed away in december (laughs) remember and then she said that it's an actor right now and that trump is in charge of the military currently and that all of this is teaching the u.s a lesson about what the world could look like without trump and then i kept i went down a rabbit hole and there are a lot of people in the u.s who believe this and i'm just like you know what jesus you're coming soon why did you go down this rabbit hole? Because like the ways that people get, like the ways that people connect information and like rationalize it in their brains fascinates me. It, it really fascinates me. Like I, that's why I couldn't be a therapist because I wouldn't be trying to help you. I would just be trying to understand like, please tell me why you think this is- I don't need to understand everybody's foolishness. That's not a part of me. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. That's why you make a good therapist. <laughs> oriented therapist let's find out a way to um get this done yeah so so i sent you a tiktok this week and the tiktok was from a child who or not a child excuse me i'm disrespecting her from like a young adult because i don't know whether she was a teenager or not but from a young adult who basically made the argument that having children when you cannot afford to have them or when you can, yeah, what she said, when you can't afford to have them is a lux- is selfish. That basically like, if you cannot afford to give a child a life that they deserve, you're basically propagating like socioeconomic issues, mental health issues based upon your own selfishness and inability to access like uh, reproductive, uh, what do you call those things? Reprodu- reproductive health aids, like condoms and different things. Um, and then there were a lot of people who bashed her and disagreed with her. And basically what she said is, cause they were saying that basically she's classes and that comparing having children to having, a, to being a luxury. And she came back and said, yeah, kids are a luxury. They should be treated as such. You should make sure that you are in a really great situation before you have them. And she went on to say that not only fiscally, like not only with your money, but like your mental health, your emotional health. Like you shouldn't just have kids if you are not, even if you're rich, if you don't have the emotional IQ to raise them in a way that's healthy. And I agree hundred percent. I have had arguments about this so many times where people are like, when I was a kid, I said that you, that you should have it, that it should be a test or like some kind of thing where like you can weed out people who are going to be abusive or who are going to give their kids like negative lives. And I understand the problematic things along with that, but what do you think? I think in theory that's cute. Um, I think in practicality that's not achievable, right? Um, in this world of like 
Um, we are very focused on our rights here in this country and um, what we have the right to do with our bodies and people's different beliefs on different things. Um, in the perfect world, yes, I, be, I be, the principle of what she was saying, like, yes, you should not have children if you are not able to fully support them and meet their needs and all of those things. But um, the millions of different circumstances that happen around having a, ch a child, um, I think that's just not practical. Um, yeah. In a perfect world, people who really couldn't afford to, especially financially and not to punish them, but really to like create change, wouldn't have kids. And if you did that, theoretically, I'm like talking about this on a higher level, so not a specific person, but like if theoretically the working class and like people who were less advantaged, whatever, however you define that below the poverty level, if they didn't have kids for enough generations, then corporations and like really rich people who make money off the backs of Americans would no longer have a workforce to fund their, their riches. And so they would have to make some kind of social changes or else they would no longer to be, be able to sustain their weight. I know it's not actually gonna happen. I know it's not even possible. I think even in that, that world, I don't think that that would happen. Well, who would work and make them their money? They would find a way. Yeah. It'd be like, uh, what you call that thing with the red dress? There's always a way to find classism. There will always be a way for somebody to put like, oh, I'm, I'm above you. So there's always a way for that. Um, I just don't, I think my struggle in that is like, um, people who are less fortunate can also raise some of the best children that you will ever meet. And with the resources they have, um, to really, you know, make that child's life worth living. So, um, and provide, it might not be perfect conditions, but pro provide the needs that they have for their kids. Yeah. Um, so I think that's my struggle in that. Yeah, I agree. Like, I don't disagree with that at all. And again, my like belief in this is not from a classist perspective of like, oh, if you don't make a certain amount of money, you don't deserve to have kids. It really is just that like, that I've seen so many situations in the work that I do where like people have kids and they can't handle them or they have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty kids. And then like they literally are struggling to put clothes on the children. Yeah, but that's some people's like actually like spirituality to believe. They believe like if you know their higher power that they believe in it blesses them with a child, then then they need to do, they need to um fulfill that child's life through. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know. I feel like that is probably why I put so much pressure on that conversation. Like even just when I personally have it about having kids is because I hold having a child in such a high esteem that I believe that you should be in a place where you can provide for them, where you can like be that person mentally, emotionally, like physically to play with them like I gotta lose some weight before I can run around around a kid they'd be running circles around me right now like in my head and it's like no you'll never be a perfect parent but I want to be the best version of myself that I can be because that is what a child deserves mm-hmm
and it may sound bad, but I know a lot of people who don't do that or don't like, and again, not judging people because like judging people, but I can see where she's coming from when she says that if you don't do that, you're selfish. And maybe you're not selfish. Maybe you just don't know better. But if you know better and you just choose to do like that, that that's a life. Yeah. I think the hard part is that like um, you talk about like basic needs, like, you know, food, water, shelter, clothing. Um, and a lot of people equate that to like providing for their kids. So if I can provide you food, water, shelter, you know, um, all of those things are being met. Um, and again, this is not taking into account that people have difficulties, people have life struggles, life can happen at every time. And you may have been able to provide for that kid at the start of their life and something happens yeah. and able to provide uh, that same amount of life and that same quality of life. Um, so I don't like, um, I don't know. I think my like internal struggle is like, I don't want to be focused on the money. It's about what like holistically you're able to provide for your child. And if you're not in a place where you are able to take care of yourself, um, it's not my right to say like, you should not have a child. Um, that's a decision that you need to make for yourself. Um, but you know, out of wisdom, yes, you definitely should be in a place where you can provide yourself for yourself and you can provide for another human being because that's what you're doing and you should be in a, a place uh, mental health wise that you're able to provide that social emotional need for that child as well. Um, I just realized that that's not everybody's opportunity and everybody does not have those. Yeah. And to clarify, like you said, I'm not talking about people who could provide and then aren't and couldn't because like life does happen. Like that is not what I'm talking about. I'm not saying about like, oh my gosh, if like tragedy strikes or if you lose your job, you no longer deserve to have, that's not it. It's like, that's not at all that. And with what you said, also, I think like to me, if I had to pick between like money or actually like a actual emotional IQ, like I would pick people who didn't have the most money in the world, but who actually had worked through their demons and weren't passing on negativity and like generational curses to their kids. Mm -hmm. So, But also like maybe that kid is what helps them learn to manage those demons. Yeah, there was a kid in the comment who talked about that, how she's like, how she taught her mom so much but because she had to be the thing that taught her mom, now she'll be in therapy for the rest of her life. Those are the things that, and like, maybe I have very polarizing perspectives of it, but I'm just like, no kid deserves that, it. No kid deserves that, but that is people's reality, man. Yeah. We're all going to end up in therapy. All of us healthy people are going to end up in therapy. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I don't think that you should be responsible for your child, your uh, your child should not be responsible for your happiness at any point, but um, I've, I've definitely heard people that I work with, like, tell me that their kids have saved their lives in the way that they have learned things, so. Yeah. Well, on that note, should we talk about mental excellence? We should talk about mental excellence. So for this week in our mental excellence, what I want to talk about is our attachment style. So 
Um, this is a theory that I, like, in the last couple of years have really um, started to work out of with clients because I think that we all, um, well, everybody does have an attachment style, but it, it affects so much more than we would think. A lot of times people think an attachment style is relevant to the way they interact in a romantic relationship, but which it is, but is um, really relevant to the way that we interact um, in all um, spectrums. So when we talk about attachment styles, we have four kind of basic attachment styles that we talk about. Um, and these can be break, broken down into so many different categories and subcategories and all of those different features. Um, but at the most like basic level, um, we talk about these different uh, relationships. And when I teach this to kids, I always have them try to um, find a, um, a couple or like a something that represents or a person that represents um, each of these attachment styles. Um, and like a few weeks ago, I had a kid like actually give really great examples of each of these attachment styles. So I'm going to use them um, here. So um, when we talk about a secure attachment, that is like your ideal attachment. This is what everybody thinks they have and wants to strive to have. Um, because a secure attachment is um, confident, you um, feel security in that attachment. Um, it's not a reactive attachment. Um, you feel like that bond or that attachment that you have is resilient. So that doesn't mean that that doesn't have problems in that attachment, but um, you do, when you're experiencing conflict, you're able to have healthy communication and healthy conflict resolution in that attachment. Um, so a secure attachment is um, and again, like there's a lot of layers to this. There's a lot of research to this and it comes a lot to how we attach with our parents and things like that. But um, this is really where you feel like I am feel healthy in this relationship. I know if this person leaves, I feel that they're gonna come back and I know that we're gonna be able to work through any conflict. I don't feel um, over, um, burdened or I don't feel that um, I can't express myself in a way that would not be received by this person. Again, so that does not mean that you guys won't have issue in that attachment. It just means that you feel confident in the ability to work through those things. Um, so one of my kiddos, she called this actually, she called this um, Megan and Harry attachment. So she said that um, in her world, in her mind, and we know nothing about their lives. Well, I mean, we do know stuff about their lives, but um, she said that they have a secure attachment. And I think that was like a really good example of, of them. Um, and then we talked about an anxious preoccupied attachment. So an anxious preoccupi preoccupied attachment um, talks about um, being in a place in a, with like an emotional hunger. Um, and we really talk about like fantasy bonds when we talk about an anxious attachment. So that's talking about like over fantasizing what's going on in the relationship. So like saying, oh, I've met this person. We're deeply in love. Um, I am in love with this person and it's been 
you know, three months. So you're also talking about like, there's also like kind of a lack of nurturing in the relationship, but that's usually because somebody is over fantasizing the relationship. Um, and it's also anxiety that that person would leave you. Um, so you kind of want to do all that you can do. So you're very preoccupied in that relationship um, because you don't want that person to leave you and you take changes in the relationship personal. So you take um, a change in that person's mood um, as like, oh, you did something rather than in a secure attachment. It could be just like, oh, that person's having a day um, and not taking that on as this is like a personal reflection of me in that, re that relationship. Um, and there's a lot of turbulence in that relationship, like ups and downs because that one person in the attachment is so anxious. So they um, are overanalyzing things, really want to make sure that they're quote unquote doing their best to keep this relationship afloat um, and taking on like a lot of responsibility of how that relationship flows or how that really the outcome of that relationship so that's a anxious or preoccupied attachment um and my kiddo called that kim and kanye she said that kim was preoccupied with kanye um and i was like okay <laughs> so again don't know their life but i think that was a good way to remember it um and then a dismissive or avoidant attachment. So you think about a dismissive avoidant attachment to that person that is like super independent. Um, so they take on a relationship as like almost like cramping their style. So they feel like um, having a relationship is taking on their freedom or taking on um, pieces of it that, um, you know, that they will lose in that relationship. So there's a lot of like isolation or ambiguity in the relationship. Um, some Sometimes their ambivalence in like making decisions in the relationships and there um, seems to be an emotional distance in the relationship that um, sometimes blocks progress and um, blocks like the relationship um, growing stronger. Um, so that person is usually naturally blocking of that progress because they value their independence to a level that is detrimental to the other person in the relationship. Um, and then you talk about, um, oh, and I'm sorry, she called that Elsa. Elsa? Yes, Elsa. Because she said Elsa was a super independent and that she needed, um, she did not want anybody to help her. And so Elsa had a dismissive avoidant attachment. Um, and then a fearful or avoidant attachment. So this is your very much hot and cold relationship. There's a lot of conflict. There's a lot of dramatics in the relationship. There's a lot of um, ambivalence and unpredictability about what's going to happen next, the highs and lows, the hot and the cold. I love you so intensely right now. And a lot of people in a fearful avoidant attachment usually um, um, interpret that dramatic up and down as like passion, like we love each other so intensely. Uh, and the difference between like an anxious preoccupied and a fearful avoidant is you still have that up and down and that there is that fear that um, that person is going to leave. But the fearful avoidant person is usually more, or the that attachment is usually more direct about kind of engaging in that like up and down while an anxious preoccupied is like trying to problem solve in order to, um, you know, keep that relationship going. 
in really dangerous situations. Um, this is where domestic violence starts um, because of that up and down and that like passion and, and um, um, interpretation of the dramatics. Um, so, and my kiddo called that the Chris Brown and Rihanna attachment. She's very accurate. Um, so those are different types of attachment styles. And like I said, that's a very, very quick, like Cliff Notes version of what attachment styles are. And I think um, I'm just a really bit, a big advocate of everybody knowing how they attach. Um, and it's like, of course, everybody wants to be in this secure attachment, but the majority of us are not. And it's not like trying to change who we are because we attach the way we attach, but we need to be aware of that um, and know how we interact with people. And we can move to a place where we're able to be more secure in our um, relationships, but knowing why we have these different attachment styles and what kind of fuels that um, and how we can move some of that into security. Hmm. And so just recapping that, because that was like really powerful and a lot of um, rich information. Um, could you just list the attachment styles, just the ones that you shared? Mm -hmm. So you have a secure attachment. And who did we say that that was? That was, that was Megan and Harry. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then you have a preoccupied or anxious preoccupied attachment. And that was um, Kim and Kanye. Um, and then you have a dismissive avoidant attachment. And that was Elsa from Frozen. And um, we have a fearful avoidant attachment. And that was Chris Brown and Rihanna. Okay. What, where was Malcolm and Marie? I heard you mention them, but. I didn't mention Malcolm and Marie. Oh, okay. But they would probably be a fearful avoidant attachment. Okay, I was like, why is the baby watching Malcolm and Marie? Anyways, that up in your mind, sister. <laughs> That's really powerful. I like, I love attachment research. Um, and it's so applicable, like into their articles that look at like people's attachment styles and can like predict like trends in their marriages and in friendships, just basically like, like talk, like, and not predict, but be able to better speak to common issues in their marriages or in their friendships based upon their attachment style. Like it's really powerful. Thank you for sharing with us. Um, and speaking of relationships and friendships, today what we are talking about um, is the importance of a critical friend. Um, and there's a question mark that's behind the importance of a critical friend. Because I think um, that importance is heavily subjective. <laughs> and that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today. So when I say critical friend, this is actually a term I use at work um, that I think is heavily applicable in friendship where basically the term critical friend was based in like the critical um, pedagogy education reform. And it basically was used around like the critical race theory or critical theory itself. So critically analyzing and pushing the bounds of um, your thoughts, perspectives, policy, methods. That's really where all of this came from. And then it was applied to education and I'm applying it in a friendship context. So um, in the context that I'm most used to, which is education, a critical friend is typically a colleague or other educational professional who is committed to helping an educator or school improve. 
So a critical friend is someone who is encouraging and supportive, but also provides honest and often candid feedback that may be uncomfortable or difficult to hear. In short, a critical friend is someone who agrees to speak truthfully, but constructively about weaknesses, problems, and emotionally charged issues. And I thought that was a really powerful definition to bring into the friend context. What do you think, friend? So I am the critical friend, right? And um, for a long, and I don't even say a long time. Um, this is like recently, actually, I've had this revelation. It's like, um, I am very direct in the type of um, feedback that I provide to my friends. And like, it can, can always be tailored better, right? In the way that it's communicated and knowing, like in our relationship, we've worked on how to communicate those things and what what you are receptive to and what not. But at the end of the day, in any friendship or any relationship that I, I am in, I have taken on the fact that like, that is who I am as a person. So like, if you cannot handle me at that level as a friend, um, then we probably should not be friends because I, uh, it, it does come from a place of like caring and I realize I am very direct and like if you know me like sometimes my facial expressions are like all over the place and okay. I'll just tell you like as it is but at the end of the day it comes from a place of like did you think about this chick like um ABC because I'm not trying to see you go down this road so like let's let's hold up and talk about it um and I'd rather have that conversation with you rather than like you know, like my parents used to say, like, I'd rather tell you that you stink than you go to school and somebody tell you that you stink. So like, I care about you enough to be like, eh. all right, let me tell you what's, what's the word on the street. And let me tell you about how this is looking from the outside in. So let's like work through that. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit more about how like critical friendship plays like in our relationship. But I can say that's definitely something that I've grown to appreciate over the years, honestly, it's a really valuable thing to have in a friend. Grounds, um, because she hated it, guys. She did not like it. It was a growth. We've been critical to each other, though, also. Yeah, but I, I don't care. I know. It's so rude. <laughs> so annoying. <laughs> like, what? Anyways, I don't want to talk about that now because that's another. But um, do, would you consider? um critical friends a core part of a relationship a friendship I think so yeah and like I just don't want to be in a friendship and again I have like a really close friend who always tells me like I'm gonna tell you the advice you need to hear not what you want to hear and that's like the moment okay like we're gonna be real friends right now and tell you what it is and like sometimes it is painful to hear or like ooh, that uh, uh, that does feel uncomfortable to hear but I'd rather hear it from somebody who actually cares rather than somebody on the street who's going to have no decency and no care about what they say about you um and provide you that feedback yeah I agree I think I am growing in like my critical friendness because you more than most people know my opinions very Clearly, and we talked about in the previous episode, like, what did you say? I was controversial. <laughs> but I, I was really thinking about that. And it's funny that we had that conversation because I feel like that's a lesson that I learned all week is that part of my critical friend 
nature is showing up more as I become more accustomed to stepping out fully into my own voice. And so like, I'm becoming more comfortable being that critical friend. And so I think even though I've appreciated it on the receiving end um, and continue to appreciate it and definitely think it's a core component of a friendship, I think also I'm appreciating stepping into that role because everybody hates having friends that you can't tell the truth to or that you feel like you can't tell the truth to. And I feel like at this point in my life, I only want to have people around who I can have actual authentic conversations with. And so if you can't do that, I feel like I'm learning to like, just keep it put like, okay, you didn't like, all right, well, God bless you. <laughs> Got to keep it moving. Like, and not in a mean way, but in a way where if we're not being honest with each other, what are we really doing? <laughs> and there's like, you know, I, I've learned that there's levels to friendships, right? So there is that friend you can have a great time with and go out and you know do all these great things that's cool but like if something was going on um in my personal life like at my core or like um per se like if something was going on in your marriage at your core like those are not people that you would always share that information with and there's like levels to that and um, again, it goes back to like having a secure attachment with that person to like be like, okay, I'm gonna bring some really vulnerable information to you. And I realize that I might receive some really like intense feedback in that. And I realize that it might not be what I want to hear and I don't agree with it. And I might not even take that advice, you know, and actually use it, but I understand like I'm there to have that conversation with you and know that that and the depths of that conversation um, will stay amongst us and we'll move on and go on with our lives. And even if it doesn't turn out in the way that it's expected, it's not taken as something that's personal in that. Yeah, you said something really powerful. You All of that was really powerful, but I think when you say you can give your advice, but I'm not necessarily going to take it. I feel like having a critical friend in your life, part of that is understanding that I, I, you are a trusted advisor in my life. Like you are on the board in my, like, like if this was a company, you on the board, but just because the board members think or feel a certain type of way, doesn't mean that's how the company is going to shift. And I think so often in friendships, really honestly, going back to the attachments that you were talking about, it's like, do you know, do you even know how to receive feedback? Do you even know what to do with it? Because I can think and feel a certain type of way, but at the end of the day, I'm not laying next to the man who I'm giving you feedback about. I'm not going to the job that I'm telling you about. I'm not dealing with the kids that you have. I'm not dealing with the money that you do or don't have. So I can give you the feedback, but you gotta know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. So, um, Speaking of feedback, how do you react to receiving critical feedback and friendships? Hmm. So, so interesting because I asked this question um, and actually some last year, somebody asked me that question for the first time. And I was like, I don't think anybody's ever asked me how I like to receive feedback. Hmm. 
Um, and then, so like when I do interviews or I meet with clients like that, now that's a question that I ask a lot. Um, but I had to really think about that. Like, how do I like to receive feedback? And I am not a compliment sandwich person. So you know how some people are like, oh, sis, you look really good, blah, 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 blah. Okay, let's talk about this. Um, okay, these are things you need to work on. And then let me package it with another compliment. Like, I'm not that person. Like, if you have feedback or or I, especially if I've done something to offend you, I'm like, just say it right there in the moment. Like, okay, like that was offensive. That hurt my feelings because A, B, and C. Um, and I think that's a learning moment for me is like, okay, let's just talk about like why you um, are feeling that way and what that, you know, what that is having for you and why you're having that reaction. So for me, I like to receive very like straightforward feedback. So it's like on this day you did A, B, and C, and um I would prefer that you do B um or do one, two, and three next time. Or, you know, I realize that you said this about yourself and why do you talk about yourself like that? Like, let's flip that this way and talk about it right there. So it's like, I need that like real time, very don't bleed around the bush and just say what it is type of feedback. Um, and then like, even though it might, you know, okay. And, um, but like, let's talk about why that, what that's really triggering for me in the moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I feel like, it's ironic like I feel like I try to be very complimentary of other people but I'm learning about myself that I hate that compliment sandwich very similar to what you're saying because it's like if you know that somebody does that it gets to the point sometimes where when you hear a compliment you're like okay but what are you actually trying to tell me like can you just say what you want to say mm -hmm. um so I don't know but I like I think um because you actually brought that question to our friendship and I've really actually had to think about it a lot. Going into the workforce and having people ask me because they give me feedback in like a wild, crazy way. And then I just like shut down and they're like, well, this isn't gonna like, well, how should I talk to you? Like, it's like, well, I like, you can tell me anything as long as if you are the one bringing the issue, you're also coming up with some, you're gonna either come up with the solution or help me come up with the solution that works for both of us. I'm very solutions focused. So like to the best of your abilities, if you dump something in my lap, at least tell me what you want it to look like. Cause and I, I think that has been really helpful in learning that and being able to communicate that in our friendship and my relationships, like in, in work is like, as long as we're walking away with next steps, I'm pretty much okay. But if you're just dumping on me and walking away, I'm like, I don't know what, what we'll do with that. I don't even know what to do next time. So. I think um, sometimes, because I am a very solution-oriented person, um, but sometimes I struggle in the fact of like giving people, providing a solution in that aspect. Um, and not to like take this to a super spiritual place, but like having a prophetic gift, sometimes you just like see things and you just say it and you're not even having um, awareness of like what that's doing into somebody else's spirit. So if I see something about you and I just say it, um, and sometimes it's not, even, it's not negative, right? But not everything that I say out of my mouth comes negative. Um, <laughs> even though some people would like to say I'm always um 
so but like sometimes you just see those things and you say it and it's like okay now you gotta you gotta provide my own your own solution to that right um and having awareness of that too is like everything i see and i sense um and i'm very aware of like the way things move around me i'm very like very aware of that but um realizing like when it is to speak those things right mm -hmm. so like I've come to a place with you where I can 95% of the time speak those things. And if I see you're not in a place, I've learned enough to be like, okay, we can talk about it later if it's really that pressing. Um, but like also just in awareness of just people in the day-to-day -day interactions of like, mm, I see it, but I don't need to speak on it. Like, and that has come to a place where like, I don't need to provide that to everybody. And I don't need to be that type of person with everybody um even though it is my natural inclination to do that um it's not always the feedback that people need and people provide and also need to provide have a connection with people before i provide that yeah yeah that's gotten me in trouble <laughs> like, i'm just being honest like saying like what you're talking about like just providing like feedback or like seeing something and being like let's let's let you be honest it's like no everybody asks for your honesty everybody's not ready for your honesty and that's what i've realized i grew up in a very honest like tell it as it is family like there is not any like sugarcoating of things to make you feel better it's yeah. like this is where it is so my interaction with people is very much how it is um and it's difficult and i realized for me like in my family it was difficult growing up so like but i also realized that those are um some of the things that i naturally have so like how do i now know that to kind of work when to shut my mouth and when to, to kind of speak out loud in that thing yeah that's a powerful thing um to know so the last question I have is, do you think that critical, like that critical feedback, that critical friendship circle, like that is integral to the health of relationships, friendships in this case? I think it's uh, critical to the, the relationship and I think it's critical to your growth. If mm -hmm. you have a friend that actually provides that to you and I know um, maybe like one or two episodes ago, I was talking about like the, um drama triangle and you have that person that's usually the persecutor and what you want them to do is more like a coach and be a, a provider of information and be like okay let's kind of get into this you know like how can i you know get you to execute critical thinking have you thought about these things because like i think that people that are supposed to be in your life provide a different perspective or worldview that you're not able to provide to yourself and if you take that on as like okay this person actually does have a, a worldview or does have an objective um, view to things that i don't have and actually being receptive to the information that they provide and say hey okay i can actually use this um in some sense um i think that that is needed in a higher level of friendship. So I'm not talking about your homegirl that you go to Miami with just, you know, 
three or four times a year and y'all see each other. I'm talking about like people that are really like in your corner and that are there for you and have an understanding of like, this is who I am in the friendship. Um, and again, going back to like, you don't need to take every piece of that, but also knowing like when I provide that feedback, like, okay, this is who my friend is and this is where that information is coming from and not taking it as like, oh, this person is come, trying to come for me and not having that defense up, but having like, okay, this person really has given me perspective in different areas that I have not thought about before. So how can I take that? And again, you might not utilize everything, but it gives you a different pace of like, my friend knows me and my friend, again, this has to be a genuine person that has their best, your best interest at heart is not somebody who's trying to root for your demise, but like really taking that on. I think that is a genuine part of having long lasting friendships. Mm. And just to like summarize what you said, cause you said some of the key things and you actually answered the question that came to my mind was like, how could you give people advice if they're learning to grow as a critical friend and then also um, in receiving feedback from a friend that may be critical and of course feedback doesn't necessarily have to be critical it's just that like that definition and that or kind of like align with each other but as you you said that one remembering the source like taking the feedback back to the source and remembering that if this is like your friend who is giving you this information remembering the perspective that they're bringing and then also like the fact that like if this is your friend, they should mean the best for you. And then also remembering, like you said, that like you don't have to take it all. You don't have to pick it all up, that you get to sift through what you're bringing back to your life, but that because this person is in your life, that they're supposed to be somebody who is providing something that's good. And then also in terms of growing with, um, growing in being a critical friend, time and place, which I think is just a big way to summarize what you're saying. It's like, you learn that everybody ain't ready. <laughs> Um, the thing that I want to leave people with is something where I think, and it's a, unfortunately, I think, um, I'll say that the thing that's really important about, uh, having a critical friend or having that critical part in your friendship is that you push each other to grow iron sharpens iron. And so there are some ways to know if iron isn't sharpening iron, if like there could be some growth or outgrowing in a friendship that I think is also interest important to talk about is like, there's a list and I'll read it and then you can react to it. It says, you still love someone, but you like them a little bit less. Interactions flow less and feel more forced. Things that just bothered you in the past no longer surprise you. Your growth isn't supported. It's more often criticized. And you're reading this and someone is coming to mind. Mm -hmm. I think that that also brings the point to like, it should never, I don't think, yes, like I say, like I'm a critical friend, but it's also like in that same sense that I would appreciate if Angie provided feedback and she would mm -hmm. be a critical friend in different places. So it's not like, oh, I'm always at one end of always being the critical friend. Like that is also played on both roles. And like, there has to be that, that openness and that willingness to um, definitely have that on both ends. And there's like an accountability piece to that, that I think um, that you have to be open to. And I think the other part of your question is like, how do you receive that feedback? Like you have to be very aware. And I think it's hard when you get into friendships, especially long-term friendships where you have to like 
continue to reintroduce yourself mm-hmm. okay this worked back then but actually now this is this is who I am and this is how I want to be approached and this is how I want to receive feedback um I think that that's one please piece but like knowing that you've outgrown the friendship um in those pieces like while you're reintroducing yourself that's okay too like it happens people grow people are supposed to grow and change and maneuver and it's a lot of work to actually accommodate people changing and maneuvering um as much as we all like to say oh I can handle it like a lot of a lot of us can't um so knowing when that friendship or when you've recognized something in your your friendship or recognize something within yourself that has changed um and making your friend aware of that like hey that was cool back then but it's it's not cool anymore and let me tell you why and how it affects me I think that's something that you have to be really aware of yeah well I love this conversation it's powerful Um, I always say this, but I feel like we could do like a part two or part three to this. But um, with that, I will turn it over to you for Boss Bits before we close out. For this week's Boss Bits, uh, I really want us to focus on the power of our relationships. Um, And we talked about our attachment styles and we talked about all those different pieces that we were just talking about, about being a critical friend. Um, So I really want us to focus on the power of friendship. I think it's so easy, especially as Black women, to tear down our relationships, but really focusing on, like, I have power and control of the outcome of my relationships. Um, So um, saying, like, I have power and control of the outcomes of my relationships, and I deserve friendship and love that wants to support me and see me live out my foolish dreams. So those are my quick little boss bits for this week. Snaps for that. Snaps. And it's been a pleasure to chat with you during one of my favorite times of the week. 